church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. SOS, we're coming in hard, heading for a showdown, it's gonna take heart. Stop the flood and choose to turn the tide. Stock markets on the rise and fall, there's a white house sitting in the middle of it all. While we push and pull and take our separate sides. Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week as we continue our study in A Father Who Keeps His Promises, Chapter 6, by Dr. Scott Hahn. Well, that intro song is called Love is a Beautiful Thing by Barry Russo. You can check out his site on my site. Just go to www.catholichack.com. There on the left-hand side, there's a new graphic for you where I've compiled all of the shows on A Father Who Keeps His Promises in one place. So it's easy to listen to all the back episodes. If you need to get caught up, that's a great place to go. So just go to catholichack.com. Look on the left-hand side. You'll see an icon of a microphone and the, the cover of the book, a Father Who Keeps His Promises, with the banner Salvation History above that. Just click on that, and you'll come to the page that has all the episodes that we've done so far and will do on this study series of A Father Who Keeps His Promises. So just look for this episode, which will be entitled A Mother's Intercession. Again, we're talking about Rebecca and her two sons, Esau and Jacob, and we'll be diving into that here in a moment. But before we do, as always, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory and praise and honor be to you, Almighty God, forever and ever. We come before you once again to study your word in revelation, in tradition, and in our lives. May you permeate our very being and send forth your Holy Spirit to guide us on this journey every step of the way with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for the conversion of sinners, for the unity 
of all believers and the strengthening of the Church, and especially of your vicar, Pope Benedict XVI. May he serve you all the days of his life, and you may you provide for the needs of your body, the Church. We pray also for the intercession of Our Lady. We ask, O Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us your mother Mary, whose renowned image we venerate, to be a mother ever ready to help us, grant, we beseech you, that we who constantly implore her motherly aid may merit to enjoy perpetually the fruits of your redemption, who lives and reigns for ever and ever. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that any one who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. St. Padre Pio of Pietrelicina, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, we are diving right back into the study, right back into Genesis chapter 26, 27, and we'll just touch on 28 before we wrap up as uh, sort of a moving the ball down the field, advancing in salvation history here. I'm going to move through chapter 26 fairly quickly, but I do think there is some meat there that is worth you looking at. Let's just go over that. In Genesis chapter 26, we see a very significant parallel between Isaac and Abraham. For instance, there's a famine, and Isaac takes his tribe to a foreign king in a foreign land. It happens to be Abimelech in Gerar. Abimelech is the Philistine king. Well, in his father Abraham's day, there was also a famine. This was when Abraham finally made it to the land of, of Canaan or, or Canaan, depending on how you say it. And then all of a sudden there's a famine and God sends him down into Egypt. So Isaac is experiencing the same thing. Isaac fears for his life going to this foreign land with this foreign king. And so, you know, he's got a very attractive wife, Re Rebecca, and he fears that you know, these men will see this woman and want to steal him or steal her from him and kill him to take her. And so instead of trusting God for his provision and for his safety and welfare, he trusts his own self to provide for his safety. And so he convinces Rebecca to say she is his sister. And he tells everybody, oh, no, this is not my wife. This is my sister. And what happens? Well, he gets caught. Abimelech happens to be looking out and happens to see Isaac there, you know, sort of playing very um, romantic or coy with his wife, Rebecca, who should have been his sister, according to his account. And Abimelech, who's been through this before with his father, Abraham, you know, goes to says to Isaac, what gives? You said this was your sister. You're going to bring curses upon us. You, what are you doing? Don't do this. Isaac, you know, obviously says, well, I was scared for my life. Abimelech charges all of his people, don't touch this man. This is his wife. Don't touch him. Don't touch his wife. Don't touch anything he owns. Well, that year, Isaac uh, reaps a, a massive benefit in wealth. 
This same thing happened with Abraham. When Abraham went into the land of Egypt, he too feared for his life because Sarah, his wife, was very beautiful. And he feared that people would kill him to steal his wife. Well, Sarah ends up into the harem of Pharaoh the king. And when Pharaoh finds out the hard way that this woman is not the sister of Abraham, but rather his wife, again, he fears for his own life. He fears for, you know, the, the his own kingdom and goes back to Abraham and says, what are you doing to me? What is this? You lied. You know, you Jacobed me. Okay. Take her back. This is your wife. You take her. And then as a result, Abraham gains much wealth. The king, the, uh, the people of Egypt, give this wealth to Abraham. And when he leaves Egypt, he leaves a very wealthy, a very uh, a man of, of great means, put it that way. And so Isaac experiences the same thing here, uh, just like his dad did. And he gains wealth, so much so that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, they got a little nervous. Isaac was growing a little too powerful. And so they expel him from their land. They tell him to go. Now they they send him in peace. You know they don't uh, they don't hate him, but they're a little nervous. He's a little too powerful to be in their midst. And so he goes out. Now what's he end up doing? Well, he end up he ends up going out and digging up all of the wells that his father Abraham had dug. You see, the Philistines had buried them over. So Isaac goes out and he's digging all these wells up again. And the people, the herdsmen of the Philistines are coming out to argue with the herdsmen of Isaac. And so he keeps moving one to the next. They keep digging them up, finding water, and there's still quarrels. Well, he finally reaches one where there's no quarreling going on. And he actually names it that like this is the place where you can roam around. There's room to grow here, basically. And what happens? Well, Abimelech comes out. And makes an oath treaty with Isaac, just like his father did. Abraham also swore an oath treaty with the Philistines. And so here is his son doing the same thing. They first hold a feast, then they they do the oath-swearing ritual, and then the Philistines are sent on their way. We are being retold the story of Abraham through the new Abraham, Isaac, his son, because the uh, the chapter verse or chapter twenty six starts off by telling us that because Abraham obeyed, God blesses Isaac. Right, the passing on of the covenant blessings of Abraham were very significant. Isaac is the new Abraham. Through him, God says he will give him the land of his sojournings. Through him, he will make his descendants as the stars of the sky or the sands of the seashore. Through him, all nations shall bless themselves. This is the threefold blessing that Abraham received. Now is being given to his son Isaac because Abraham obeyed the word of God. Very, very telling, very significant, very powerful. This is the righteousness of God. He gave his word to Abraham, and here we see God making good on his word. Very, very significant. So that brings us into Genesis chapter 27. And we get right back into this saga, this this drama of the two sons of Isaac. And, and we talked about them in great length last week. And we're going to be getting into the very specific episode of how Jacob, Jacob's his brother Esau once again. If we look to page 112 of A Father Who Keeps His Promises, Dr. Hahn says, quote, When Isaac was old and his eyes 
too dim to see, he called for his son Esau, quote, Go into the field to hunt and bring back and bring back some savory game which I so love, so I can eat it and bless you before I die. Into Rebecca, the wily wife who eavesdropped and then made plans to outsmart her aging husband, she instructed Jacob to dress up in Esau's best garments and a fur skin so that he looked and smelled like his hairy older brother. Meanwhile, she used two kids from the flock to prepare Isaac's favorite savory stew. The old man fell for the trick and gave his blessing to Jacob. Okay, now that sets the stage, but I want to just warn you. What I'm going to do here is we're going to go through what happens at this event, but I'm going to quote from the Targums. Now, again, as we've said countless times on the show, the Targums are a written account of the oral tradition of the translation from the Hebrew into the Aramaic in the synagogue. This predates the time of Christ. Many of the Palestinian Jews who lived there in the time of Christ, the first century, could not speak Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. And so when they went to the synagogue to hear the Torah being read, recited, they would hear it in Hebrew, but there would be an interpreter there translating it into Aramaic. Well, that's been written down, and we they're, they're called the Targums, and you can actually read those online. There is a link on my website, catholichack.com. Go to links. It's up in the, the top uh, link panel there. Go to links. Go down to study tools, and you'll see a link to the Targums. Now, I'm going to quote extensively a couple of passages as we go through this because there are some awesome details that the Targums add in that we don't get to read anywhere else, especially in our version of uh, Genesis in our Bible. And so I think you'll appreciate this. Now, the Targums say, for instance, when Isaac is old and blind here in uh, Genesis chapter 27, the Targums say, quote, because when his father was binding him, he had seen the throne of glory, and from that time his eyes had begun to darken. You see what I mean? I mean, this is talking about how Abraham bound his son Isaac on the altar, because Isaac, as we said last week, was a, a very pious man. He submitted himself in obedience to be offered up by his father to God. And the Targums say that he saw the throne of glory. It's as if the veil was ripped open and he could see heaven in all of its glory. And from that day, his eyes were getting darkened. It's like once you've seen heaven, seeing anything else pales in comparison. I mean, he was going blind from that day on. I mean, whether or not that actually happened is not the point. It is a phenomenal insight into the mind of the first century Jew who interpreted Scripture in this way. You see what I'm saying? So that's why I'm going to be quoting from the Targums as we go through this. Now, Isaac called his firstborn son Esau to him and said, Look, I'm getting old, all right? I don't know when I'm going to die, so... I want you to go out into the field. I want you to hunt me some venison, make up that savory stew that I love so much. Bring it to me that I may enjoy it and that my soul may bless you. All right? Now, what's interesting is the Targums say that Isaac called Esau on the 14th day of Nisan. Do you understand how significant that is? 
the 14th day of Nisan, that's the day of the future Passover. That's the day of the feast of Easter that the son is called to go out and make sacrifice to bring food for the journey. <laughs> this is a prototype for the Eucharist that will come with Christ, the true Son of the Father, who will bring true bread come down from heaven, the true sacrifice to be offered up as the fruit of the womb on the tree of life, the food for us, that we might have life within us, that if we eat of it, that we might have life. What a, a phenomenal uh, prototype, a, a parallel to the, the fulfillment that would be realized in Christ. I mean, this is amazing stuff. That's why I love it so much. Now, like as I, as I said, Isaac didn't know when he was going to die, but he wanted to bless his firstborn. Now, last week we saw how Esau already gave up his birthright. He, he gave it away for a, a pot of lentils, right? And so, uh, this is not good. Esau was basically getting very excited here. Oh, I'm going to get the firstborn blessing. Now, it was never his to begin with because when these two kids were in the womb of Rebekah, God already said the day would come when Jacob would be over his brother Esau. So the, the younger will be over the elder. The elder will serve the younger. But even still, Isaac loves his son Esau, tells him to go get some venison, come back, and I'm going to give you the firstborn blessing. Now, Rebecca overhears all of this, and she warns her son, Jacob. She says in the Targums, quote, Go now to the house of the flock, and take me from thence two fat kids of the goats, one from the Pascha, and one from the oblation of the feast, and I will make of them food for thy father, such as he loveth, and thou shalt carry to thy father, and he will eat that he may bless thee before his death. Again, do you see those parallels with the Passover, those parallels with the Easter, with the Eucharist that we will again realize as we get to Christ on the night before he was betrayed? The oblation, the sacrifice, the oblation. This was an offering to God of, of the flock. At that very hour, Christ was offered. When this oblation was being offered in the temple, our Lord is being offered on the cross. Very powerful, very significant that this is happening on the 14th day of Nisan. What we're going to see when we talk about the Passover with Moses is that was a redeeming of the firstborn. We're going to get into that much more significantly in the future. But, but moving forward with Christ... He redeems the firstborn because he is the true firstborn, the only begotten of God the Father. And so here we see how there is a sacrifice uh, from the flock made for the, the blessing of the firstborn. So the parallels to Passover and to Easter are phenomenal. Now, the son does as his mother asks him to bring back the goats. Now, Jacob fears that he's going to be discovered. Okay, given the fact that his skin is smooth and Esau is, is hairy. You remember we talked about the, the hairy baby? Well, Jacob, he's no dummy. He gets it. He's going to, you know, like, look, I know the old man is old and blind, but he knows that I don't quite smell like Esau, and I don't quite have the same kind of hairy physique as Esau. 
He's going to get it. And if he does, and I'm busted, I'm going to get a cursing instead of a blessing. So Rebecca comes up with a plan. And she basically tells her son, look, if there's a, a cursing, it'll be on me, not you. Because this is my idea. I'm the one who's interceding here. So just do as I ask. It's all going to work out just fine. So what happens is Rebecca places goatskin on his arms and neck so that if Esau wanted to feel his skin, he would feel the, the fur or the hair of the goatskin, and he would think it was Esau. He would smell like Esau. He would feel like Esau and maybe be able to pass the test. Now, the Targums say something that I think was very significant. It says, quote, And he went and took and brought to his mother, and his mother made food such as his father loved, and Rebekah took the pleasant vestments of Esau, her elder son, which had formerly been Adam's, but which that day Esau had not worn. But they remained with her in the house and with them. She dressed Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the kids she laid upon his hands and the smooth parts of his neck and the food that the bread the food and the bread she had made she sent in the hand of Jacob her son did you catch that part the vestments of esau were the vestments of adams that is cool the vestments were being passed down from one generation to the next and now what i don't know if that's that actually happened but the mere instance that it that this is in the mind of the first century jew that this is how they see things typologically the vestments of the firstborn were covenant and significant they were the vestments of adam this was not just some mere ritual this was far deeper far more significant than that this was a covenant blessing of the firstborn passed down from the time of Adam. Very, very cool, in my opinion. Well, he takes the stew into his father. And Isaac, you know, again, he may be old and he may be blind, but he's no dummy. I mean, he was born at night, just not that night. You know what I'm saying? So he says, uh, why? What happened here? You know, because Jacob comes into the tent and he says, you know, father, sit up. I, I have the stew. Eat it and give me the blessing. And Isaac's like, wait, 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 wait. How did you get the stew so fast? I mean, that was pretty quick. You know, are, are you sound, you don't, you sound like Jacob, not like Esau. Are, are you Esau? Come closer. Let me feel you. And so he feels him and he feels that goat fur on the, on the arm and on the neck. And, and he says, well, I hear my son Jacob's voice, but you smell and you feel like Esau. You, you must be Esau. Are you Esau? Jacob says, I am. <laughs> Come, let me eat, that my soul should bless thee. The Targums say, quote, And he approached him, and he ate, and he had no wine, but an angel prepared it for him from the wine which had been kept in its grapes from the days of the beginning of the world. And he gave it into Jacob's hand, and Jacob brought it to his father, and he drank. And Isaac, his father, said, Draw near now. And kiss me, my son. And Jacob drew near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his vestments and blessed him. And said, See, 
The smell of my son is as the smell of the fragrant incense, which is to be offered on the mountain of the house of the sanctuary, which shall be called a field, which the Lord hath blessed, and that hath he hath chosen, that therein his Shekinah might dwell. Again, there is a lot of very cool things coming out of this passage in the Targums. The grapes, okay, those grapes, this, this specific grapes from heaven, bring this very special wine. Again, a prototype for the wine that our Lord gives on the night before he is betrayed, his own blood, turning wine into his own blood. Just as he turned water into, his, into wine that he gave at the wedding feast of Cana, prefigured the Last Supper, so does this prefigure that that day when the blood of the Lamb is poured forth and becomes drink, spiritual drink, that we might have life and have that life in abundance. Because we see and we taste and we receive our Lord truly present there in the Eucharist body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so I thought that was very significant. And the link between, talk about sacrifice, okay, the link between this event of this meal, this oath blessing and a meal, it links us to the temple, okay, the vestments, like the vestments of the high priest who goes in to offer sacrifice before the very presence of God there in the Holy of Holies, where God's Shekinah, the Shekinah glory cloud came and filled the temple of Solomon after he built it and then dedicated it to the Lord. That is a very significant link that we will then see linking us to Christ and his church there in Acts chapter 2, as we spoke of several weeks ago, when the Shekinah comes down upon those in the upper room, and then they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they go out to gather all of those people who come from every nation under heaven, gathering them in again, the fulfillment of prophecy. Very significant, very awesome prototype there in uh, this passage of the Targums, Genesis chapter 27. Isaac gives his blessing in verse 28 through 30 to Jacob. He says, quote, God gave thee the dew of heaven. God give thee, rather, the dew of heaven. And of the fatness of the earth, abundance of corn and wine. And let people serve thee and tribes worship thee. Be thou Lord of thy brethren, and let thy mother's children bow down before thee. Cursed be who curseth thee. And let him that blesseth thee be filled with blessings. So Isaac gives this blessing, this this Abrahamic blessing to his son, Jacob, which was meant for Esau, is now given to Jacob. Jacob had Jacobed Esau, receives the blessing of the firstborn, which is covenant in nature. And he leaves the tent, and no sooner than he does, Esau comes in out of the field, makes his own stew, and goes into his father. His father says, what? Wait a minute. I've already received the stew. I've already received the meal and already given the blessing. It's gone out. What is this? Jacob has Jacob us. He has been subtle, you know? The blessing's gone out, and nothing can be done to undo it. And Esau begs his father, crying, please, have you no blessing for me? Esau 
realizes that he has been Jacob a second time. First, his brother steals his birthright. Now he steals the, the blessing of the firstborn. And he is just angry and sad and broken down, begging Isaac to give him a blessing. Well, Isaac gives him a blessing, but that blessing is nothing like the blessing that he gave to his other son, Jacob. You know, he basically says there in verse 39, quote, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword shall you live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you break loose, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, upon hearing this, Esau is obviously very irate. He plots to kill his own brother. Okay, now, as we said last week, this is a parallel to what happened with Cain and Abel. And the Targums actually make that connection explicit. They, I, I wish I had more time, I'd quote from it, but I'm running out of time. So what happens? Rebecca finds out about the plot. She fears for her son Jacob's life, begs Isaac to send him out, wants to send him to her brother Laban's house, okay, in Haran, because they don't want Jacob to marry a Canaanite woman. You see, Esau, he took two Hittite wives, okay? This polygamy, which was always evil in the Old Testament, we talked about that. Well, he finds out that Isaac and Rebekah, his parents, don't like uh, the fact that he's taken these foreign wives, these Canaanite wives. So he takes a third wife from the daughters of Ishmael. Oh, that's not good either. Well, Isaac gives this Abrahamic blessing to his son, uh, Jacob, and then sends him out to Laban or Laban, you know, the brother of Rebekah, so that he might marry Laban's daughter or one of his daughters anyway. That sends us on the next part of the journey where Jacob gets Jacob. It gets more interesting. The plot thickens here in this never ending soap opera of salvation history. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. I want you to stop by CatholicHack.com. Check out the link to the A Father Who Keeps His Promises Salvation History page with all these episodes and help me spread the word, especially by subscribing through iTunes. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you, so please pray for me. God bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Bitcoin Digital.